0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Surviving the Pride. I am your host Tim,
1: and I'm Jordan.
0: And you might be asking, what is Surviving the Pride? Well, Jordan, I will tell you. Surviving the Pride is all about marketing, explaining all aspects of marketing to help a business grow. Importance of having a website, SEO, social media, and it's also going to be. We're also going to be talking about starting a business as well.
1: Yeah. So in addition to that, we're also going to give you guys some helpful hints, tips and tricks about current and upcoming trends within whatever industry our guest business is from and give you guys a bit of general information in regards to that.
0: I just want to give a brief rundown on some of the segments that we have planned uh, for him during this podcast. One of them um, is titled technically the hot seat. Uh, usually within this segment, we kind of just introduce the guests. We put them in the hot seat asking them questions about customer experiences and how to deal with the branding that they have currently been doing with social media and if they have anything that else that they would like to describe or say about their business. And then also near the end of it, we're going to be playing a little game with them just called word association. Uh, typically with that, each round entails for our guests to give us a phrase or words that first come to their mind based on our randomly generated word selection. And on today's episode, we have some gentlemen from the Polymer Center here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Guys, would you like to introduce yourselves and your role before we dive in?
2: I'm Bill Murphy, uh, technical associate. I'm Phil Shoemaker. I'm the director of the Polymer Center. I'm Tom I'm the president of the Polymer's
3: Technology Center. I'm Doug D. Simone. I'm the operations manager for the center. <laughs> I'm
4: Nero Schumacher, lab manager of Polymer Center. All right.
1: We're just going to dive in head first. So first segment is called the hot seat. So basically, it's our introductory segment where we basically have you guys in, introduce yourselves kind of like what you just did, but asking some questions. Ready? Okay. So first question would be, what's the role of the Polymer Technology Center?
5: The Polymer Technology Center's role is to, is to bridge the gap between development and production. We're there to help the customers who developed a a product that there's a consumer need for it to go to the next step to scale up and actually run volumes, truckload volumes, uh, so they can uh,
0: take that next step. Okay. And then when did the business begin? Yeah. The the business actually, the business itself
2: actually didn't start until 1998, but it had a long history before that. It actually started off with uh, Joe Bennett and um, a number of other people working together with SPE and SPI in Raleigh back in the late 1980s when we were doing legislative receptions with SPI. It became real obvious to a person who was um, devoted to industry, what what is now called the Industry Expansion Solutions, or IES, uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Kogel, who would – Periodically make tours around the state looking at the plastics industry. It became obvious to him that the needs of the plastics industry wasn't really being served through the universities, that there was a, a need for training and so forth. So he got together with Joe Bennett, who was always an advocate for increased training and, you know, better dissemination of knowledge and um, started an effort to found an institution which later became the Palmer's Center of Excellence, uh, in 1998.
1: Wow. that's a, That was really informative. I didn't know that at all, actually. So you guys founded, if I'm not mistaken, you said in the 1980s. Yeah. So how has, did you see any shift kind of in the mission statement from back then? Obviously, it's like not... Too much of a big-time difference, but from then to current date? Uh,
2: yeah, well, to found the institution, um, you have to work with the state of North Carolina. We're a 501c6, not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. When you're a 501c6, you have a mission that you get approved by the state, and ours is to support, maintain, and encourage the strength and growth of the plastics industry in the state of North Carolina. Charles Case, who was the attorney who set us up back in the early 90s, got all of that pushed through along with a gentleman named Lynn Reese, who's still on our board. Um, And they ran the funding from the state and through NIST through uh, IES. And um, at that point, the mission was mainly to do educational activities. Over time, we found that we could grow other aspects of our business, compound development, materials testing, and so forth, um, which also serves the needs of the plastics industry. So, yes, to answer your question, it does kind of evolve, but initially it was founded to be on the campus in the engineering department at uh, UNCC, and that worked terribly. Oh, wow. It's... yeah, it um, required that we move across 85, find a new place, and kind of start over again in 2000. It was incorporated in 1998, so for only about two years, under the directorship of Bob Van Brederode Road, um, on UNCC's campus. They tried that mission, but there was never any parking, and then, you know, every time they tried to turn on an extruder, people were pulling fire alarms because they thought the place was on fire. There was no good way to to fund the activities that would later come to the Palmer Center, so it was decided at that point to move on and go across the street, essentially across eighty five, yeah. and into a no location. hard no hard feelings. So. No, 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 they just had to they just had to move. That's all. Yeah.
1: Okay. Good to.
0: And then, just coming off of that, what kind of products and services do you guys actually do there? Yeah,
2: well, there's four main activities that we undertake. The first one's training, and we were just talking. You know, um, that's a, a <laughs> that's a moving target. There's always a need for training, but getting the word out, what kind of classes we have, um, finding out who's interested in taking what, those are those are tough questions. And so you'll see if you're looking at our website that that's um, that's constantly evolving. The two things that aren't evolving are the testing center and the compound development. That's been steadily increasing over the past 20 years. And that's where Euro and testing and Tom and the compound development have been uh, exemplary in developing that business.
1: Okay. So what would you say your customer base looks like?
2: We have over 500 customers. So, um, it, it's usually somebody has something to do with the plastics industry, obviously, but, you know, we'll get things that are a bit bizarre. Euro can talk about some of his testing projects a little bit later that really go off into the woods. Um, and right now, I would say the biggest driver for us is what we call advanced compounding. So, and Tom can address this better than I can, but Everything we do is covered by an NDA. So we're not allowed to talk about a whole lot of these specific customers or specific projects with the customer. But what we can tell you is people come to us with all kinds of crazy ideas about what they want to make. Sometimes it's not even poly- polymeric. Sometimes it's something else. And um, we do, I think, a really good job in helping them develop their compound, telling them what kind of physical properties it has once it's developed, and then assisting them, as Bill Murphy will point out later, um, in finding, if, if we can't help them, finding people in this industry who can. Mm-hmm.
5: And to jump onto that, um, we help customers from the from the very top, from the polymer producers, the manufacturers, all the way down to the uh, entrepreneurs or startup companies, so we have that full gamut. Some of them don't have the equipment that we have, some of them do, but the scale we have is perfect for them to do development, run on what we call production equipment, but for them, that's development equipment. So what we would run on a 50 millimeter for some customers, that's how they scale up to their 100 millimeters. So they'll do development runs on our large machines, and then we have the startups that they don't have any equipment at all they do the development work on the small equipment and then if that's successful which we've had a lot of success lately then we move up to the larger equipment where they're doing uh truckload volumes and so wow
0: that's not
1: all right well i think that concludes that first segment tim you have any extra questions
0: um i do have one um looking at your website you have a whole training tab About fundamental training, intermittent training, and advanced training. Do you want to touch a little bit on the training? Like, do is that something you advance on each level, or get like past a certain thing?
6: Well, I think the key right there is is I have to say, in the last uh, eighteen months, uh, we've probably been to twelve or more trade shows and conferences, and fifty percent or more of every lead we've gotten is for employee development. Or training. So that's where our one of our big focuses is at,
2: at the present time. But that is such a moving target. This is it's really painful for me because we've tried a number of different things with varying levels of success, mainly failure. <laughs> a lot of failures. Yeah. <laughs> that's I mean, how you learn though. But that, well, the problem is it's hard to, everybody agrees that you need training. You've got this new workforce. Old guys like me are leaving the the, the workforce, and new guys need to come in and take their place. That's clear. Somehow or the other, you have to transfer that knowledge, though. Mm -hmm. And that normally comes down to something called training. Well, okay, where are you going to go to get it? And there's been this interesting inversion of our training classes back in the 2000s. You could offer a class in basic injection molding or basic extrusion and would fill up. Now, all of the plants have their own training classes in the plant. So, their star extrusion guy might be the guy who leads the training classes. You no longer need an elementary class in extrusion, but their star training guy loves to come in and see a class on twin-screw extrusion technology. That class always fills up. So, we've changed the model initially from a basic kind of class to a more advanced class. However, only a few of those classes have really struck a chord, really resonated within the industry. And I think part of that is people don't know about it. So I know you guys are not extrusion or injection experts, but when you think about how you make a compound to put stuff into an extrusion, It mixes it all up and disperses it, and it it spits it out into uh, little pellets. Well, those steps, putting stuff into the extruder, the extruder itself, and then pelletizing it, which is what Tom does all day, every day, those three steps are really complicated, and they can drive you absolutely out of your mind. So Bill and I put put our heads together, and we said, I know, we'll do classes on how you put the stuff into the extruder with these things called feeders. Nobody signed up. Thought it was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I think it's still a good idea. You got to get the word out, though. And that's where we're failing. Ditto. We did a pelletizing class. Now, that turned out really well because everybody hates pelletizers. They're the mm-hmm. most problematic piece of equipment on an extrusion line. They're forever breaking down. They're a bit delicate. And if you drop something in them, it completely destroys them. So people have learned that they really need to know more about them. That class filled up, but we also had a lot of marketing help. We did. So, to answer your question, training is not a simple subject to talk about. Okay. It's, it's, it's one of our biggest headaches, but I also think it's one of our biggest opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, we're we're struggling with it right now. Okay. That
1: makes sense. All right.
2: Cure
1: it up. All right. So, second segment, specially curated for you guys, just for you. Um, it's, it's called <laughs> it's called down to a science because I know not a lot of um, listeners may understand what polymers exactly are. So basically, we're going to explain what it is. We're going to define what it is. We're going to see how this science benefits your company and how it could benefit some of your potential consumers. First question: Can someone define a polymer? Because I'm very confused.
4: Oh, it looks like me, I guess. Um, <laughs> polymer is just a repeating unit of what's called a basic unit called a monomer. So a monomer is just a, a clearly defined chemical structure that has a defined start and finish point. Mm-hmm. And a polymer just repeats that end to end over and over again. And you don't know how long that chain is unless you do any kind of analytical experimentation on it. So
1: that's All right. so it's like chemistry.
4: Think of a think of polymer like um A strand of pasta, and if you cut the pasta down to an infinitesimally thin slice, that's your monomer. And now you've grown that polymer to the size of that pasta strand. And that's kind of that's kind of like a a basic model that you hear about, like in in grade school or undergraduate science, a basic model. So, for and with polymers, you can have like two different domains. Like you can have a crystalline domain where there's a Unique unit cell structure, or there's like a defined shape for that crystal. Mm-hmm. And then you have an amorphous type structure where the pasta strands are just randomly distributed, convoluted, tangled up together. Think of like curly hair. Like this, it's just everywhere, all knotted up. It's not
5: really defined. That would be like an amorphous style structure. So, just to jump on what he says, that when we talk about polymers, that's an amorphous polymer. You can see through it, mm-hmm. A semi-crystalline, you wouldn't be able to see through it the other day. And what's okay. what's unique about PET is it can be both amorphous and semi-crystalline. So, if you if you extrude this and melt it, it comes out clear if you cool it really quick in the morphous state that's why you have water bottle and if you if you allow it to if, if you don't if you don't cool it that quickly it'll become opaque again in white so yeah 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 tom had a good example with that so like
4: uh pet like a quiet link trip um this is like a very common where you have both domains ideally in in um in most polymers, you're going to have both domains because there's no such thing of having like a 100% pure crystal material, you'll have like a crystal dominant or you'll have like amorphous dominant and whichever one is more dominant will be um, like a driving factor for a lot of physical properties like stiffness or like a gas or liquid permeation or color, haze, opacity. So the crystal structure ultimately, like there's this thing called like a structure property relationship and that's ultimately what drives a lot of the developmental work is you understand the structure, then you'll understand what the final output is that's coming out.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I like the pasta analogy. Like slight like thinly slicing something and being able to see like that's a part of like a bigger chain. That was that was really good.
4: Yeah, that's,
1: at first I was cake just like
4: analogy coming up later. <laughs> <laughs> we use cake, we use cake on our side. Oh really? <laughs> you use cake, I use pasta. See, I am ai am a I'm a I'm a die Heart sponsor of Tony's Pizza <laughs> in <the> University university
1: <laughs>
4: Shout out to Tony's Pizza. This
1: episode was sponsored by Tony's Pizza. All right, That's
4: hilarious. I wore their shirt.
3: Does that matter? Oh, I guess not. Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to tell Guston. I'm going to get a picture of Lisa. Okay.
1: Um, next question. So what does a polymer engineer do? A polymer, a polymer engineer,
4: well, I guess that's me. That's
5: that's multifaceted uh, though, because you yeah. can kind
4: of go both ways between the <laughs> extrusion side and the testing side. But you can-
5: you're you're trying to improve the, the properties of the material, um, whether it's uh, the the strength, the elongation, the uh, impact. Uh, but you're trying to uh, add materials, whether they're um, You know, additives um, strengthening a glass. Um, You may you may uh, have to put modifiers into the bomber to to make the additives uh, become more. um, What am
4: I trying to say? See, now we have cut this. Sorry. You're talking about like you want to talk about like increasing the performance of a specific property. So, like antioxidant and impact modifier. basically, you're
5: trying to put the right properties in the plastic for the ultimate part. Um, and that's really what which, which you're always trying to do. Even that's what compounding is about, putting the right properties into the polymer. Um, you know, how carpets changed over the years, all these stain protection, wire protection,
3: mm-hmm. protect, Well, carpet's plastic.
1: Things I learned, part five of this episode.
3: 20% of this room is plastic. Yeah, Most just... of your clothes are plastic. Eyeglasses, cases, mm-hmm. well, carpet's plastic. Mm-hmm. So over time, People found additives put in for stain resistant, odor resistant, and you build that into that plastic. So you take something that's neat, and then you add additives to it, like a cake. You know, you put in something, you put in something that makes it taste different, makes it do different things. It's the same type of thing is what an engineer is trying to do with plastic. He's trying to modify it to make it better for what you need. Fire retardants, the antimicrobials, just you put in things, and then you. I mean,
5: unless you're wearing cotton we're all wearing plastic it's got to perform whatever the final application is but one of the most important properties of plastics is the cost so and you got to make it to where it's economically feasible uh, you can do a lot of things in the laboratory You can solve a lot of problems but if it's not if you're not gonna if it's too expensive no one's gonna buy it you can build a house that won't
3: burn down and
4: nobody can afford it right i mean it's button, so it's what what Tom said was probably the key thing but defines like a polymer engineer versus a scientist is that <laughs> it's all about making something that is like economically viable. Like the scientist is the one that's designing either like a new polymer or a new additive and Tom is taking those um formulas or derivatives of those formulas and making it to something that's actually gonna work. I would say that's the biggest like key difference between somebody who's like a lab scientist or a bench scientist versus mm-hmm like an engineer on like a an D line or something like that
3: we have made some really great biodegradable bags it could degrade like in 45 days just laying in the ground without being rotated or something great but if they're a dollar a bag grocery stores can't afford them. you know so it's it again cost cost matters
1: hmm. that makes me think of i don't know if you've seen this this was like recent like what two three years ago where they had the um plastic water bottles that basically dissolve after like you compost them or something like that. I don't know. Would that be more of like a polymer engineer's type of thing? Or so the polymer chemists, uh that's probably PLA, which okay. is a
5: corn-based material. Um, and it's compostable. And the polymer chemist came up with that, that polymer using corn instead of petroleum. Now the polymer engineer is gonna have to make that material work for a part. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. or they make
2: PHA, which is what she's describing. Dip. Yeah. Well, you okay. can take a package mm-hmm. like Fritos, and you eat all the Fritos, and since you're a litter bug, you throw it out on the floor of the forest. A PHA bag will completely disappear because the same bacteria or similar bacteria who made it will eat it. It will completely disappear. Wow. But like Tom points out, there's a real big problem with that. It's incredibly expensive because to get it, you have to grow it with bacteria, harvest the bacteria, or harvest the PHA out of the bacteria, and make sure you don't contaminate your PHA source with bacteria bodies.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, what I mean? if so, <clears throat> we go to the grocery store and you see two bags of Cheetos, mm-hmm. one of them's a dollar. The other one is $2, but the bag is biodegradable. you got to spend an extra dollar for that bag. The product is good. Some people. some some
1: product's good. (laughs) Some people. The product's good. My
6: wife would. She would. She's into recycling and biodegradable, but I think most people probably wouldn't. That's true. There's there's price point that they're not gonna pay for recyclability or sustainability, which is I could see that. And it's stuff word. is in
1: like Whole Foods or Airwand mm-hmm. where they have like the biodegradable bags and stuff mm-hmm. with certain things. I think that's probably the difference why they put certain products in probably. certain stores.
2: Well, so as Euro and Doug were talking, he's talking about a bio, a completely biodegradable plastic, but then you can also modify it to either improve its physical properties or make it more biodegradable or more quickly biodegradable.
6: Or less cost.
2: Yeah. And then there's things that we're doing that have nothing to do with plastic. And it's completely about biodegradability.
1: That actually leads into my next question. So what are like the various types of polymers or like other um compounds that we interact with daily? I know you guys pointed out um Carpets, oops. clothes, clothes, clothes bags. bags, water bottles. I don't know if there's anything else. The parts in your car, like the from like the
4: nineties up until now, like every year, like the uh, the EPA uh, tries to um, mandate like a fuel efficiency, and to get that fuel efficiency rating for each like car brand, they're having to lightweight the cars. So how to lightweight your cars? You use you you, you straight away from metal and you start incorporating plastic materials like your, your headliners, your dashboards, your um, your door liners, your seats, all of those have some sort of, most likely, like um, some sort of vinyl compound, right, Tom?
5: Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think there's a great commercial out now where it's talking about if plastics were to disappear and everything around, everybody just starts disappearing. Disappearing to I be mean, your shoes. Like all the modes, like everything's going electric now, you gotta have a lighter car. So a lot of metal parts can be replaced with uh, the plastic. The thing that the, I think we're getting off on the tangent here, but the it's the single use plastics that gets a bad rap. It's the bot, it's the water bottle, it's the it's the bags, and that's where everything. A lot of people are focused on how do we make that either compostable or recyclable. And right now, all these bottles are recyclable, but we're not doing a good job recycling. Um, so, I mean, in medical plastics are essential in medical. Any surgeries you have, um, the the IV bags, the catheters. Um, plastics is not going away, but we, what we have to focus on is how do we eliminate, or how do we do a better job recycling, or how do we do a better job making things where they'll disappear in the ocean if they get the ocean of, to a degree. And I don't remember what the question was now, and I got off the thing.
1: <laughs>
4: I think uh, it's, it's plastics in your daily life. So yeah, like, uh, yeah exactly. I mean, uh, people don't think about it, but my whole left shoulder is plastic. The screws,
3: the sewing in there, the clips, everything the they use.
1: My hip. My,
3: my hip in January. It's it's ceramic on one side, plastic on the other. And people just you know, but you don't want that to tear up. You want I want that to last twenty years. I want it to be right.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: but if you look at the volume use, it's as Doug pointed
2: out, it's carpet. If you look at your house, the floor coverings, the wall coverings, all the plastic pipes water the insulation on your electrical lines. All those pieces are plastic. And so, increasingly, what you've seen is a move away from wood, metal, and glass to plastic. It's it's the first completely new family of materials in about 10,000 years. So, yeah, of course, when you finally come up with that. If they were invented today, if they hadn't existed earlier, they'd be considered a green material because they've replaced so many materials at so much lower a cost, and at so much lower a cost to the environment, than the alternatives, it's just really annoying when you're driving down the road and somebody's tossing water bottles out, or there's a plastic bag stuck in a tree, or the oceans filling up. And that's not the fault of the plastic; that's art, We're not putting it where it belongs.
3: And you got to look at the cost versus. We've made everything disposable too. Your vacuum cleaner breaks. What do you do? You don't go. You you don't call Hoover for repair. You throw it away. It's one hundred and seventy nine dollars. Microwaves used to be two grand. Now they're ninety nine dollars. Most of it's plastic, so it's only going to last so long. But we have to find ways to recycle, reuse, redo that. But then you got to separate the guts and what's in it, okay. and that's a whole other a whole nother avenue. But we've we've made everything disposable too. Yeah, you know, even even these cars. When you get plastic parts, they're going to be easier just to throw away the fender. We're not going to putty and patch them anymore. Hey, we injection mold one for twenty five dollars.
0: I think the most shocking one to me was the clothes. No, honestly, I didn't know plastic was in the clothes. <laughs> so all to be that, honest, all, all well, that
1: makes sense. Why well,
0: <laughs> that? But like, right on.
1: like, spin- yeah,
0: yeah,
3: you, you know the old polyester suits. Well, polyester's plastic.
1: I should have known. So True, I'm
3: a trader. I'm wearing wool right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hate to say it, but wigs. Most of your wigs are all oh, plastic. Yeah,
1: synthetic.
4: yeah, uh, yeah,
3: Even though, even feels like hair. It's it's.
4: Yeah, those are the ones that turn green if you wash them too much. Really, really? It makes you look like a. Good the synthetic. Form. I think a lot of hair is PVC based.
5: Is it? Is that that we're, we're working with the customers to make it biodegradable.
4: There you go. I wasn't
5: sure what we could say there. God, that's what I'll say what it is. It'll make it black right yep. That's That's really cool, actually. That so is. The, you know, the
3: idea of what we have worked with, we could sit here. You know, yeah, there's all of, of hours of fun we have. Yeah. It's an, that's why I love going to work every day. It's, it's you know, and my, when I tell my wife sometimes what I'm doing at work, she's like, Really? Who would have thought of that, you know, and it's like, um, you you know, you got guys with credit cards saying, I got an idea. Let's try something. Then you got engineers saying, I've been looking at this for the last seven years. I think I have something. It's a great, just a great place to go every day. But we'll get into that later. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I want to say if I was a scientist God help us all
3: <laughs>
1: I'd be making everything just cause I could just cause I could I
6: would we got a lot of people like
5: that Yeah, yeah. come so, down to the center you'll we a lot
1: of them you fit right in you <laughs> be like Jimmy Neutron
5: see <laughs> i after, have companies like that they have these great ideas but they don't have the equipment to do it so they come to us so we have the equipment and the experience and the knowledge to be able to take their idea and make a pellet so they can make a part there you go.
1: Wow! Bring
0: them your idea.
1: I want to make Goddard. from Jimmy Neutron. I want my own robot dog.
0: <laughs> we saw those. In we did. Wait for
6: real? Yeah. We did. Real. It kept coming I've up to me up looking up. at me, and I'm freaking out because it just had <laughs> this weird looking face. I'll show you the video after that. Uh, oh yeah. I'll show you the video. It's There's a dog. And eighteen it <laughs> year old out. kids were yeah. running yeah. them.
0: Yeah. Oh, Say, so oh, well, Molly just made her day. Like,
1: you <laughs> really did because now I'm gonna be like, What can <laughs> I do to <you laughs> get one? Right? Get one, yeah. Oh my gosh, well, that I like how all the questions are like leading on top of each other. Because the <laughs> next one is, What polymer processing does the center start to receive more requests for? It?
5: Biomaterials, we were just talking about it biodegradable, compostable, anything natural, renewable, recyclable. Renewable. They're trying to get rid of the single-use plastics where if it does end up in the ocean, it'll go away. Um, now, the challenge with that is they don't process as easy as petroleum-based or thermoplastics. So there's uh, different processing that we have to use, different screw designs, um, different. Different, molds, different molds, but that's really, it seems we're getting a lot of interest and a lot of work and, and not just us, I mean, nationwide there's a lot of push for this. Um, Part of the reason too is
3: if you're going to develop it, you want to be able to develop it on equipment that's already out there. Right. Doesn't do you any good to develop this great something and then have to spend $10 million on a piece of equipment to run it. So people are coming to us saying, can you still use your plastics equipment to process this? And we've been doing it for years now. now And
5: and that's important to investors too, because they want to make sure that they can take the product and run it anywhere. Run plastic and, and our
6: equipment is industry standard, right? A lot of it's 20 25 years old. You know, the 25 year old extruder will make a product just as good as a two year old extruder. So,
2: well, we have to admit that we end up modifying things well
3: dramatically sometimes to get it to work. True. Yeah, the 25 year old one has more duct tape on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but now, tape fixes
5: off. <laughs> but, now, but now also with that recycling is huge now because you know there's two ways to solve the problem. Either you make it disappear or you just keep using it over and over. And they don't like each other. Recycling doesn't like biodegradable material getting into the recycling stream. Um so we're seeing a lot of push recycling. And every time you run every time you recycle it, you lose some property. So you have to come up with the additives that's gonna keep the property so you can make the same uh, product every time same quality same quality. Yeah. Uh, you can see now. I don't know if you have noticed that uh Coke is going to all clear bottles. You oh, don't yeah. have a, a yellow bottle, and that's for recycling. Because that that was one of the hardest things. So you have green, yellow, different color. You're trying to make bottle. If you can't do that, so that Coke has really pushed. I guess others will follow it. Because again, and but I think until it's mandated, it's because it's again. It's sometimes it's more expensive run recycled material than it is prime material so it also goes with the price of oil yeah oil goes up
3: recycle becomes more valuable oil drops recycle becomes less value
5: so so we're seeing a lot of customers come up with recycled product and we're trying to make a, a final compound that they can reuse at you know an economically viable uh, uh product so because it's, it's I think they're, they're going to be mandates. I think everyone's pushing to have at least a certain percent of recycled in their product by you know, I don't know what the 20, 25 or whatever, but recycling is also a big thing. It's here to stay. Yeah, you've seen the uh, plastic decking, right? Decking boards,
3: you've seen the plastic boards, decks made out of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but- composite, you've walked on composite oh. boards sure oh. all over the place. Yeah, um, so you cut a two by four and a half. How many ingredients are in there? Wood and water basically, right? You cut one of those plastic uh, decking boards in half, there could be 10, 15 ingredients, could be fillers, could be whatever, which is a good avenue of using recycled material. The majority of
6: those are one gallon polyethylene milk jugs. Hundreds and thousands of them, they recycle them, grind them up, re-extrude it, make those boards. So instead of that milk jug going to the landfill,
3: it's on your deck. Um, Not that I'm advertising for Fair Harbor, but I bought some shorts and shirts from there last summer. Pair of shorts, 28 bottles. Shirt, 12 bottles. That's what they made them out of.
0: That's interesting.
3: Now,
1: whenever I look at clothes in the store I wonder how many bottles it took. I know.
0: (laughs) It's...
3: Yeah. So, I mean, that's what people are doing because, you know, when you melt, even though this is rough now, you melt it down, put it in a very fine, fine thread, and, you know, it's it's soft as your hair. Well, here in North Carolina, a company called Unify does exactly that.
2: They take the old scrap bottles, turn it into fibers, and turn it into clothes. And they made a big marketing effort to that effect, which obviously didn't penetrate too well since you guys didn't have any clue about it. <laughs> but, but they're here in North Carolina, and... um
3: that's, that's what they do.
2: Great
6: company too.
3: Well, that's what's fun. That's why people come to us because you're gonna have to put something else in it. What can I do? What can I put in it to, to help it soften up or fire retardant or make the colors or just whatever. And that's why you know they come to us to, to get the
0: start. I'm very curious about this clothes thing No Like honestly, I'm actually generally... yeah. oh gosh, Start a
1: <laughs> second episode Just <laughs> trying to
0: understand that Google. Start looking at labels You Google.
3: rarely Google. see anything I love the clothes They're a little yeah. more money But now They wear great And they're comfortable
0: setting. So like A typical Like right now Like average bo- Like you said 12 bottles 25 bottles
1: Sims probably wearing like 200 bottles I am very
0: curious like, well, well I'm average. up to about 45 <laughs> bottles now <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> I not see that I <laughs> This is I'm glad we're not filming this. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's radio, not TV. One day we won't be filming. And that's where. They
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Up.
0: They tell you how many bottles we use to make a shirt or make shorts. That is really so fascinating. I like it. I think that's cool. I didn't, I never knew that.
1: I didn't know that either. I, I'm just. <laughs>
3: You know, one of the things I tell new customers, I say, you know, the worst thing about working here is when they do look at me, waiting for me to say, of course, my boss or my drive. And usually I say, it's uh, everybody here has four weeks vacation. And they look at me and I'm like, that tells you how long everybody's been here. Mm-hmm. You, you're bouncing ideas off of a group of 16 people that 70, 80% of them got four weeks vacation so a we're doing something good that they want to be here and and they like being here and they're staying here and what what's great about that is we all interact together if if i'm helping a customer it's eventually going to end up in plant injection molding down to euros so euro has an interest in making sure that i'm helping him he's helping me phil and tom are making sure that everybody's working together as the groups are just because it's trying to make sure that you're getting All the information you can from everybody we have, everybody that runs equipment out there knows products inside now. It's equipment inside now. So if something comes up, it's not just yes or no. We can help make changes. All the guys, everybody has seen so much It's just They like what they do and they like helping people develop because I tell everybody comes in we can do anything for a PO, but if we don't make you something, You're not making money. You're not coming back. You're not, you know, you're not talking good about us. And we want to get you something. We want to help you keep going on the next step. But just uh, enjoy going to work. You know, there's plenty, plenty of times if we have a customer come in for extrusion, they want to sit and talk. You know, we go grab Euro. Let's, you know, let's everybody, you know, yeah, we're going to take 15 minutes of your time and we're all going to sit. You know, a lot of the customers, they'll come in first trial with an idea and then the second trial, they're like, hey, let's talk ahead of time. I want your ideas. And we'll all sit together round table, talk about where they could go, screw designs, machine changes. Maybe there's additives out there, different additives they could try. And you get that, you get that. It's, it's personal. Is what it really comes down to is it is personal. We are. We create a relationship with most of our customers that you can't. You know they look forward to seeing you. I mean, God brought me four dozen cookies yesterday. I tell you what. He well, (laughs) is is not being exactly
2: honest. What the customer said was he extorted four boxes of cookies from (laughs) them. What he said to them was, if you come back, you got to bring me cookies. Well.
1: Okay, well what kind of cookies? Because they Oh the best. Oh, Oreos the, and the, chips and wood. Yeah, they were so, good. Now you lost me. I'm sorry. Uh-uh. <laughs> <But> I, like, <laughs> so I, I, I have to bake my cookies. I don't like um, the ones in the little packages. I'm sorry. Well now we do have people
3: who
5: do that. We have
3: people yeah. make pies yeah. and um <laughs> yeah. I had an apple pie, it was really <laughs> good and <laughs> yeah. you know, it, again it sounds weird and this is whatever I've been invited to two weddings of customers. Oh
1: <laughs> yeah. well, that's personal thrill. Uh,
3: you know, and, you know, rest Michael's soul. I used to love going down to meet with him and having a cigar and a
5: drink. It's like you're working and with your friends every day.
3: It, oh. You know, it's uh, Adam, rest his soul, too, unfortunately. Um, couldn't wait to see him. And we shared grand picture, grandbaby pictures. Oh. You know, when he walked in, it was like, I don't care what you're here for, Adam. Cop up the phone. You what? know, he he pulls out. He pulls out the grand. He, he loved being a granddad, and I got a little three and a half year old. We're changing pictures, and yeah. you know, oh yeah, he wanted to work too. All right, let's let's figure that out. But it's it just that's what happens because we take an interest in who's here, and just it, it makes it nice. And you know, Euro had customers last three days from out in California, and there's a bond between them. And you know that interest it makes it better. It just makes everything flow better.
5: Yeah, I think what's unique about us. I think I tell everyone this is. You can come to the center, you can run several formulation, five pounds, whatever. We can injection mold, you can do the testing all under one roof. And then if, if, if you hit on one and you got a customer that wants thousands and thousands of pounds, we can do that too. And that's kind of unique. You know, you have those mega comp or compounders that can do the truckloads and you have the research centers that can do the small amounts to have it all under one roof in one place. I mean, that's really what makes it special. And we, we we establish these relationships when they're doing development work. And now when they want to go to the production, they don't have to go somewhere else and try to establish a new relationship with a compounder. They know who we are, we're the same people running the small machine as the big machine. Mm-hmm. And if they're if we're there, if they want to use us, great. And and that's I mean, that's why we formed the the Palmers Technology Center. Mr.
1: We do want to thank you guys for coming in and talking with us about um, all the different polymers and how we interact with them every single day. So this well, has back been very you. informative.
0: Back you. Back yeah, you. I learned a lot. I really did. I can't wait for the next one because I feel like we're really diving. The next
1: episode is going to be about polymers and clothes. So... We're going to send four different people next time.
0: That <laughs> works. We could even come to you. <laughs> Honestly, that would be <laughs> the would like That, would be last that, last. Would be that was the curiosity.
2: Be be so Who's going to be the one that
3: does come? Thank mm-hmm. you.